At the Canaan Church, our mission is bringing people to Christ and helping every person to become a mature disciple in Christ. Canaan Christian Church, where people dare to dream. Would you stand with me, the Gospel of Mark, chapter 2, beginning at verse 1. Sometimes you can miss a masterpiece because of over-familiarity. <laughs> Listen to what happened on this particular day when Jesus came back home. A few days later, when Jesus entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. They gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left for not even outside the door. And he preached the word to them. Some men came bringing to him a paralyzed man carried by four of them since they could not get him into Jesus because of the crowd. They made an opening in the roof above. By digging through it and then lowered the mat of the man lying on it. When Jesus saw their faith. He said to the paralyzed man, Son, your sins are forgiven. <laughs> now some of the teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, why does this fellow talk like this, blaspheming? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately, Jesus knew what was in their spirit and what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, <clears throat> Why are you thinking these things? Which is easier to say to this paralyzed man, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Get up and take your mat and walk. But I want you to know the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the man, I tell you, get up, take up your mat and go home. He got up, he left Canaan that day, <laughs> took his mat and walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone and they praise God saying we have never seen anything like this amen you may be seated this is the word of God you can miss masterpieces of life because of over familiarity this happened once in the history of the Louvre in Paris. The Mona Lisa had been stolen and gone for two weeks before anybody paid any attention to it being 
taken away. On August the 27th, 1911 rather, a young art student going to look at Leonardo's masterpiece sat down, saw the box with no painting. He made his way over to the incredulous managers of the Louvre and said, Mona Lisa is gone. Nobody believed it. They had been walking past the box that housed the little picture for weeks, but nobody recognized it. They missed it because of their over-familiarity with it. What had happened, a young man in English language, his name would be Vincent Puggi, knew the layout of the Louvre, who worked at what time and at what station. He had planned it along with three other friends. They found a closet. They came in on a Sunday, hid away in the closet. Under their arm, they had something like a briefcase with the same kind of clothes that the people who worked in the Louvre wore. At the end of the day, they dressed that way, went in, took Mona off the wall, and went out, and Lisa was gone with them for two weeks. <laughs> Nobody had paid attention because of the over-familiarity of the place. You can miss what is obvious right in front of you because of your over-familiarity. <laughs> it can happen not just in art, in the Louvre, it can happen in churches. Amen. That you can grow so accustomed to what you believe is ordinary that you miss out on the extraordinary moments of God right in our midst. This happened to me over the last couple of weeks when I was reading through the Gospels again, that when I came to Mark especially, I thought, well, I'd preach through Mark, so I ran through the reading. Didn't pause because I knew what Mark said. And then I thought, maybe Mark reads differently today than Mark read in the 90s when you preached through it. So I thought I would pause and take my time and this time, when I read through Mark, this story leaped from the page, put his finger on my shoulder and say, the next time, give me another chance to preach myself. Because I had lost so much of the story because of my familiarity with it. Now, I may not say very much after that statement, but I would hope this is an encouragement to those of us who've been here at Canaan for us not to grow so accustomed that we grow familiar with God's grace. Look with me now. Look with me now at this story again. You know it, some of you do. There are a few of you who have never heard it. Those who are looking around the world, your virtual audience, some of them say, I don't know the story. Some of us, we, we know the story. But let's hear it and not lose ourselves with the familiarity of it or the over-familiarity for the rest of us. It's the story of a paralytic man, some friends that open the roof and bring him to Jesus. But this text spells itself out in a peculiar movement of how through urgency for God's wholeness we ought to bring people to Christ. 
it says something to us about urgency and priority as well as intensity. In the urgency of the moment, something happened in Capernaum, the headquarters of Jesus. This was his home base. This is where he's always going to return for the first part of his ministry. He had gone out to do what Jesus had been called to do and come to do. He had gone out to accomplish his tripart ministry. He was preaching, teaching, and he was laying hands and healing. People were being made whole, and he had gone out. And now he had come back to replenish himself in Capernaum. And while he's there, there's a notation of availability in the urgency of the moment. Jesus is home, he's in Capernaum, and he's available. I don't have to tell you, but I will for others, that every moment of Jesus' availability is not exactly like other moments. There are times where his availability is more available than it is in other moments. That is, that there are times where God is moving in a particular way. And when he does, these are the moments like nautical or like a sailor. You hoist your sail to catch the blowing of the wind for God to lead you in the direction that he wants you to go. I'm not guessing at words now. This is John 3 and 8. The wind blows. Speaking of God's spirit, that the wind blows where it wills. We don't know where it comes from or the sound thereof, but when the wind is moving, we harness ourselves to catch God's breath and lead us where he wants us to go. And so it is an urgent moment here in the, this place in Capernaum that Jesus is available, available to the people at home in Capernaum. But that's not just the availability, there's also a word of notoriety. Jesus is the most popular teacher on the planet at this moment. It used to be his cousin, John the Baptist. But you know how folk are. After a while, they move you aside for the new flavor that come to town. And so John, John was the preacher and the teacher for a moment. But now Jesus showed up. And up to this point, Jesus' popularity is at its zenith. And so people wanted to hear him. And so word got out that Jesus is available because his notoriety spared through town. He had been teaching these great sermons and preaching about the kingdom of God, God's reign, God's rule, God's righteousness. It was a kind of counterpoint against the Roman Empire and against the authorities of the day that God was doing something really new in the world. And so, so Jesus was attracting all these people. They came from everywhere. Uh, they filled up wherever he was. And, and on this particular day, his notoriety got out to the extent that uh, it created an intensity of the moment. That is, so many people were in this little quadra, this kind of this quadrangle house. It wasn't nothing special to it. It wasn't fine like where you sitting this morning. It was just a little house with a door that opened to the street and on one side it had a set of stairs that would take you on top of a flat roof. In fact, depending on what time of day it is, you might see goats running on top of the roof. This is the truth. And so they would be picking away 
at the roof. Well, on this day, Jesus is in the house and people are everywhere. I mean, seated in the doorway, in the lobby. They're seated next to him because of his popularity and his notoriety. But while they were listening intently to what he was saying, Jesus caught out of the corner of his eye some fellows that were scaling the side wall, getting to the top of the house. And Jesus kept talking. None of this disturbed him. None of this caused him pause. And so he heard some rumbling on top of the house over the transverses. And then he saw the moving or could hear the pulling up uh, of clay. And uh, he saw debris coming from overhead. None of this stopped him, but, but he kept teaching because the people had that vision on Jesus, and that's good. You all not be distracted when Jesus is talking. But while Jesus was preaching, he had his sights somewhere else. And the next thing you know, the sunroof showed up inside the church. A group of people had unroofed the roof. Uh, they had pulled it open and now the sun is breaking through and apparently nobody is paying much attention to what's going on in the roof, on top of the roof, except for Jesus. And he looks up and there are a group of men on top of the roof and they have a fellow there that is described by Mark as a paralytic. Now, now let me pause for a minute because this story gets gooder at this point. <laughs> Jesus is teaching and now you see the urgency of the moment shift to, I guess you could say, the silence of their persistency. Nobody is saying a word but Jesus. But they're trying to get this man who is described in the Greek New Testament as a paralytic. I think it's important because it is to point out that this man's visible condition is an impossibility. There is nothing that you can do to improve the quality of this man's life because he's a paralytic. Something has gone wrong at the base of his brain or possibly in a spinal cord and it is a picture that you can do nothing in this situation. This situation is beyond hope. There's no movement, there's at the mercy of everybody else and that is the visible picture of this familiar masterpiece that you and I have come to know as the sermon about the men that tear the roof off and then I guess I almost heard George Clinton in my head. <laughs> if you don't know, don't ask. And they're on the roof in a situation beyond human possibility. That's the visible picture. 
But then the same picture shifts to the urgency of the resourcefulness of the people who apparently believe that if they can get their friend, I guess he's their friend, to Jesus, Jesus has the power to do something with his visible condition with his invisible strength. Because whatever this young preacher Jesus is doing it, he's summoning it from somewhere. We don't know where, but there's power that's coming from somewhere. And that resourcefulness is they're tearing, dismantling, unroofing the roof, and Jesus is teaching, and they are tearing open the ceiling of this person's house. Now, now it, it lends itself to one more thing, is that can you find yourself in this masterpiece? It's said of Rembrandt, that Rembrandt always painted himself in his own pictures. So when you go to see Rembrandt, just look around, whether it is Jeremiah down in the dungeon or the watchman, you look for a picture of Rembrandt. Can you find yourself in this? I started looking at this and I said, there are possibilities in this sermon in this masterpiece that gives invitation for you to no longer be a spectator. You can be a participant as God moves from the visible to the invisible. Who are these people? We don't know. Who are the, who are the friends? Are they friends? Are they, are they his biological brothers? I don't know. Uh, they could be. Are they their friends? Maybe they played on the seashores of Galilee. I don't know. Just strangers who passed by. Could be. That doesn't erase the urgency of the moment that they believe that his best hope was getting him to Jesus Christ. And then while they're working on top of the roof, what about what's happening beneath the roof? Who's there in the room? Well, I don't know. You start interviewing people and say, do you remember that day? Say, do I remember? I'm the owner of the house. I'm still trying to pay off that loan for having to get the roof repaired for when Jesus was here. Is the preacher just being silly and saying something? No. Because whenever you invite Jesus into your company, it always costs you something. I mean, I don't have to tell you. Now, if I have to convince you, you've been sitting in a masterpiece and you become so familiar with it that you've missed the moments that God revealed his work to you. You remember you own Dixie? You remember you had prayed about building a building? You built the building and then the Lord says because you are faithful to build that building I'm going to give you something five times the size of what you built and you won't believe it when I tell you what you can access it for. I don't have to, I just, did, I just did that for somebody here who said, who is this preacher? 
because I've been here, I know. I know. Well, I get, you got the point. Let me keep going. The disciples are there. What are they saying? They're probably saying, here we go again in this embarrassing moment. Jesus trying to teach. We already told the children to be quiet, and now these folk tearing this man's roof up. The religionists were there, and they were saying, you know, um, this is not how church is supposed to be done. It's kind of unconventional, it's untraditional, uh, it's kind of reckless. Uh, this ain't how church, this ain't what I'm used to. I'm, I'm going somewhere else to be a little more comfortable because, uh, you know, why, why, why we got to have church like this? Well, whenever you're trying to get the man from the roof, stuff always get rearranged at the lower part of the house. And, and, and so they were there. And when Jesus saw that resourcefulness, he looked at that and he said, well, I think this, this is Ralph West's interpretation. Well, I'll be. Look at the urgency in which they brought this person just to get them to me. And Jesus said, your sins are forgiven. See, that's what I mean. You, you can be, you can know this story so well that you forget all the beauty of it. Your sins are forgiven the invisible hand of God is at work because nobody can say that but God alone and so he says Ralph West your sins are forgiven and, and, and I got so excited over the fact that God could take a divine eraser and he could blot out my transgression I got so excited that God could wipe away I had said something one day in elementary that I didn't have any business saying. And these were the days that one of your punishments was that you would go to a, what they called a blackboard and you would take chalk and you would write out your punishment on the wall. Don't write it one time, write it and, and you would fill the blackboard. And then after you fill it, you had to clean it. And they would just give you an eraser. And then you, you erase it. But you could see the tracing of what you had written on the blackboard. And so Jesus didn't say, go up there and wipe off. And then, but I'm going to leave just enough of it so you can see what you used to be. The teacher said, get that bucket. There's a solution in it. Put it on the rag, squeeze it out, and no, now wipe it out. And when you come through, it was as if nothing had ever been written on the blackboard before. Your sins have been forgiven and Jesus wiped it out. That, that, that's why some of you can't believe it. When people meet you, they say it's just hard for me to believe that you used to be what you used to be. Because when I look at you now, 
it's hard for me to watch you singing in the choir. I know it's you, but, but I remember when. Because when God blots out all of your transgression, there's no trace of what you used to be. That's why we shout, I may not be everything that I ought to be, but thank God I'm not what I used to be. I'm almost done now. And the people should have been shouting. Yeah, they should. They should have been shouting. You've seen this before. You can't be a church for 40 years and haven't seen that before. That there's always somebody that want to pull up your resume and try to prove that you are not what you confess to be. And the religionists were there and they said, we got a problem with this. Now how in the world are you gonna do that? You, you cannot do that. And uh, Jesus looking, he says, wait a minute. What's the problem? Which, which is the most difficult? To say uh, your sins are forgiven? Are you saying that, 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 that there's a problem with that? He said, you see the motivation for me to say that happened when I looked back and I saw their faith. When I saw their faith. It's one thing to talk faith. It's something else to trust faith. I, I, when I saw it, the action spoke to me that they needed something more than just new legs, more than new eyes, more than new ears. They needed something spiritual before they got something material. I know how to handle their material, but I need to get their spiritual right. It's impossible to please God unless you believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of them that diligently seek him faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of what you cannot see. Your sins have been forgiven. Oh, Jesus said, let me tell you, let me tell you something. I got to leave you. I, I, I got to leave you, but, but here it is. He said, I got to tell you something. Which one is easier? He said, because anybody can say your sins are forgiven. Uh, anybody can just walk up here and say, brother, sister, your sins are forgiven. Jesus said, you can say that, that's in the invisible. What I'm going to do is that I'm going to take the invisible and make it visible. I'm going to show you what forgiveness looks like. Turn around, he said to that man, he said, now this is what I want you to do. Take up your bed. Get your little cot. Roll it up and start walking. That man was happy on both levels. Physically happy and spiritually happy. And have you noticed that whenever you get around Jesus, you always get more than you ask for. All the friends were asking for was some brand new legs. Jesus said, I'm gonna give you a brand new life. And that's one reason I'm a Christian because you always get more when you're hanging around with Jesus than what you bargained for. And so Jesus said, your sins are forgiven. And then he turned around and said, now take up your mat and walk. And let me tell you, I don't know how the man did it, 
All I know is that somewhere, some, somewhere the man uh, took his mat, rolled it up. I don't know how long it took between your sins are forgiven and how long it took between rolling up your mat but it must have been a dramatic moment to watch this man who came in with no mobility standing and rolling things up but that ain't the joy for me is when he stood up he said I got somewhere to go I'm on my way back to my house. I got a mama and a daddy. I got brothers and sisters that I want to tell them, look at me and what the Lord had done. Have a good morning, Canaan. May God bless you real good. But on my way to heaven, somebody ought to know that is not just your story, but it becomes somebody else's story. That is, when he stood up on his way, wherever he was going, he was happy. But he wasn't the only one that was happy in the room. It says that when he stood up and walked out, everybody in Canaan began to praise, praise God. You can come on now. And so now, on my way home, somebody ought to know that in 40 years, we rejoice with water and sand. But we got our own shout also because we have our own story to tell. Look at me and what the Lord have done. Have a good day now, children. May God bless you real good. But I wonder what the man was singing on the way out. Maybe he was saying, Father, I stretch my hand to thee. No other help I know if thou withdraw thyself from me. Oh, whether shall I go? Maybe he said, I'm looking for a miracle. I see the invisible. I believe in the impossible. Have a good day now, Canaan. But you got to give your own story. On my way home, I'm rejoicing of what the Lord has done. But I'm also praising him for what the Lord is doing. Yeah, yes. Is there anybody here that you have your story of what the Lord has done? Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. If he's been good to you, say so. If he brought you out, say so. If he picked you up, yeah, say so. Yeah, yeah, 
yeah, yeah, say so, he's been good. The people represent the church no matter where we are, so stay connected and reach others as we grow in Christ.